0: Welcome to a special edition of our show, Herstory, on the rocks, with Katie and Allie. Normally just be the two of us hanging out with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history. But sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about history.
1: We have a very special guest here with us today, Jenny Natal. Welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to join you both. Jenny is an English professor at Oxford University who focuses on medieval literature. She is here with us today to talk about her upcoming book, Mother Tongue, The Surprising History of Women's Words. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yes, so I'm a what they call a lecturer at Oxford, although strangely, lecturers don't give many lectures. They give lots of tutorials. (laughs) Um, So I teach part time for one of the Oxford colleges, Exeter College, Um, um, and have been there for about four years now and was working in another Oxford college before that. So I'm a part-time academic, I research, I write, and then um, because I'm married to a Formula One engineer who's never there, I kind of hold the fort at home with my daughter and kind of juggle it all together.
0: Ah, that's fascinating. I know (laughs) Formula One's really big right now. I don't know
2: anything about it,
0: but that's exciting. (laughs)
2: Someone was trying to persuade me to write a Formula One romance. Ah, Very sellable, uh, apparently.
0: Yes, I (laughs) like that. (laughs) Perfect. So before we get into your book, we have to get into the cocktail we made for your book. Um, So this is called Mother Tongue. It's an ounce and a half of bourbon, an ounce of butterscotch liqueur, um, and an ounce of half and half. You shake it all together and then you type it off or top it all off with a nitro cold brew. So cheers. (laughs)
2: That sounds delicious. Wow. Figured uh, Mm out. Coffee and whiskey.
0: Things to get you talking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So before we dive into your book, we like to set the scene for our listeners. Your book focuses on the history of words relating to women, but it's not just ancient words. Some of it comes up through modern times. So can you give our listeners like a timeline of what your book spans?
2: yes yeah, so it's it's focused on the the history of english in particular I'm a, i more and more feel like a kind of archaeologist going back into the history of the the language and it runs from the very first words for these subjects the the sorts of words to do with women and their bodies and their lives and experiences that we share in old english so um english as it as it's first spoken in the british Isles through medieval English, through Renaissance early modern English. And I try and follow a lot of these ideas up to around uh, the year 1800. So, you know, that point at which many of our kind of what we might think of as kind of modern ideas are are really taking hold. But but as you say, the book also kind of tries to come all the way up to the present date and think about how uh, some of the ways we're thinking about words to do with women now either resonate with the past or or kind of contrast and and to kind of see what's happening in those particular sets of vocabularies across um English. But yes, with 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 a, a kind of waiting towards, partly because of what I teach, a waiting towards Old English, Medieval English, Early Bond English. Because I got rather fed up of reading books that promised to be a history of something and and really suspiciously started in about 1850. Uh, I was like, this, you know, this is the problem with being a medievalist. You're, you're sort of there shouting, there's a lot of stuff before we yeah. get there. So I wanted to go from, you know, like a river, from the first bubbling up of, of certain concepts and certain words, and then sort of follow them up towards that point at which English is starting to kind of go global in in a way. hmm
0: and it's interesting because it's very specifically, you know, a book about women's words that I like because it's about use, words that are used about women and words that we as women use. And I'm so interested as to how you got into this topic. I mean, was there one particular word that made you go down this rabbit hole or was it just kind of something that kept popping up in your research about other things?
2: I and mean, I was sort of lots of things came together, right? English literature has become quite a female dominated subject certainly at Oxford and my students women students often you know running through a discussion of something else and would would kind of go stop wait can I ask you about that word so I was thinking about women's words at work um and I was sort of you know coming out of that well all sorts of topics me too but also topics to do with women's health and women's experiences in the workplace and I was sort of thinking more and more particularly as I got to kind of midlife, thinking about all of those ways we we try and get across you know sometimes those moments with with men in my life where I'm trying to kind of get across why this matters and why I want to talk about it but the actual spark um, and it's in the book was my uh, t- she's a teenager now she's 15 but when she was um, I guess maybe 11 or 12 she was just starting to deal with menstruation and she stomped back through the door one day after school after a rather kind of tricky day at school uh, handling some of this stuff and she just said out of nowhere period is such a boring word and I remember thinking yeah it really it really doesn't quite get to grips with what's going on it's just a word about time um and we often she and I play games of kind of she'll ask me about the etymology of things and look something up and I went and looked it up and thought you know, from the perspective of a medievalist, that's quite a recent word. Can it have been the only word? No. So I hopped across to the the Middle English dictionary and suddenly saw other words. Um, and and I had been wanting to write a, a book for a broad orient, audience for quite a while, but but it it was rather startling. Something kind of popped into my head at that moment, and I thought why don't I write maybe an essay or a chapter on the historical language of menstruation? Because I figured that if I could find that and if I could write about it and if I could bring myself to hand it over to other people and get them to read it and see what they thought about it, then, then the rest of the book would sort of fall into place. So... So, yeah, she she should be making quite a big claim if it manages to sell any, any copies. Because there was something about that moment, her and me together, that really kind of flung it into my brain.
1: Um, I'm blown away because literally today in the car, my 13 year old said, why is it called a period? <laughs> and I was like, I think periodically, <laughs> like a period of time funny um okay so can you tell everybody a little bit about how the chapters are separated and why you chose the particular categories that you did choose
2: yeah and I I mean it it was it was a beast of a book to write because each chapter required a kind of deep dive into uh, you know and I'm I have you know taught a lot of texts over time but I was not necessarily someone who was kind of up to speed on everything in terms of women's history and gender studies but I definitely wanted there to be chapters on on living and working and caring so some of the kind of doingness of being a woman and as you say the words that are used about women doing those things and and uh, words which I mean, the sources are a bit less, especially the early you go, but what we might take to be the kind of everyday English words that women use for working, for running a home, for caring. Um, there are, and I was thinking a bit more politically, there are chapters on uh, dealing with male violence that targets women and girls and about the the stuff that you might call early Feminist thinking, what are the kind of words that start to kind of help women push back against their their subordination? Um, and then there's a run of chapters which sort of join the, the experience of, of going through a life cycle, perhaps in a female body. So um, words for female anatomy, words to do with pregnancy and childbirth, uh, words to do with desire and sex, which I had a lot of fun writing um and a chapter on sort of it it was always known as kind of ages and stages in my head. I wanted to write about the kind of the changing words for women at girls and women at, at different points in their life. So it, it tries to kind of move move you through all of that stuff. But I hope I've I hope I've done a lot of the, the kind of work and the research under the surface and it's actually a sort of book that kind of bounces you along kind of through all this stuff with a bit of Humor and a a bit of kind of my own feelings about these words, and and a kind of playing around with languages as well.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I think this is such an important topic for women because the topic of especially like women's bodies and periods and pregnancy have always been kind of talked over and talked about in kind of this coded way. Like, I remember when my mom had her wedding, she was like, My cousin couldn't be in it because she was in the family way <laughs> which I think is such an interesting phrase I mean I'm sure you came across a lot of that in your research so why do you think it was just so hard to talk about this for so long I mean she got married in the 70s like that's not that recent
2: yeah and I think I mean it's the that thing that maybe starts off in I mean I'm um, painting with a kind of broad brush here but sort of in the 18th century ideas of kind of decorum and politeness and you can you can even see that in dictionaries of the time where you know quite plain terms that have been in dictionaries are starting to become taboo and you know dictionaries are now being sold not because they contain everything but because they don't they don't contain any of these kind of taboo expressions that you might want to avoid with that kind of euphemism that kind of allows you to kind of say what you mean without saying it exactly. And then you've got Victorian and maybe early 20th century, that that classic idea of kind of prudishness, prudery, which is certainly kind of pushed at, at women and public speech. Yet at the same time, we know that Victorian scientists and doctors are busy doing a lot of the kind of sexist misogynist theorizing that we find in you know early gynaecology and sexology and medicine so so that's what gives you that funny mix of technical terms euphemisms and and we've lost sight of a lot of the kind of earlier words and i i i think maybe i thought till i started looking Maybe there just weren't any words. Maybe we just got scientific words, and then we got kind of Victorian ways of kind of not saying things, and then maybe we get slang. You get a lot of sort of twentieth century, late nineteenth century slang that that doesn't feel very usable. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, let's go, let's go back before that, and and that's what I found enjoyable. That you find, uh, I'm not suggesting seriously that we can start to use any of these words again, but it, but it's interesting to see something that's a bit less euphemistic and that some of these topics are not quite as tabooed as, as these later periods in history would, would really have us think and that you can jump back and find um, bodily processes, body parts, sexuality, all sorts of things being talked about often with a you know and clearly with a certain amount of sexism and misogyny but actually you can kind of look at the the words, and I, you know, I, I think I did land on that subtitle, "The Surprising History," because it seemed to me there were lots of surprises, you know, lots of I, I, the things I thought I could understand about this. I was kind of challenged because I think some of those 18th and 19th century ideas have a really kind of firm hold on us now. And obviously we can be progressive going forwards, but as, as someone who's kind of standing up for the, you know, the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, actually, why don't we kind of jump back and see if there's anything we can sort of catch a glimpse of.
1: Yeah, I, I love thinking about that, that that Victorian prudishness that is, that's affecting now was not always in effect, like prior to that. That's a really interesting concept. Was there any words that stuck out to you, like a favorite word or concept, or is it constantly changing?
2: Oh, lots of things. I mean, I like a lot of the Renaissance anatomy and sort of late medieval medicine give us some of our kind of Latinate technical terms that, that are perhaps like the euphemisms. They don't really make us feel at home with this language, but... These Renaissance anatomy books often come up with kind of vernacular synonyms. So um the and, and kind of the earlier medieval texts too. So that the vulva might be a wicket, a little gate or a court, like the entrance to a, a city, one of those big gates you go through in a walled city. Um those sorts of things that that you know. Those sorts of parts can be talked about with words like lips or nymphs or wings. This is kind of wonderful kind of descriptive vocabulary. So I was very pleased to find those. I was a sort of tomboy teenager and I was I was completely delighted to find, I mean, this huge set of words for you might call them tomboys, but what they are are kind of girls, young women. Stepping outside expectations of behaviour, and there are clearly so many of them doing it that you need a whole set of words to <laughs> tell them off. So words like romps, rigs, rigsbees, hoity-toities, merry gourds. There's a whole set of kind of early language to, so you can kind of name, um, name a girl who's who's being boisterous or, or, you know, it, just kind of going outside gender norms and the verbs to romping, ramping, roaring is the one that people might have heard of. So you get these figures called the Roaring Girls in the 17th century who were kind of um tearaways in London, kind of petty thieves and celebrities. But, yeah, I was sort of really pleased when I could see a set of words that even even in the existence of those words, and those words might be there to disapprove, are kind of telling you that there's a bunch of girls and women who someone might want to say, oh, you're a Rigsby, you're a Merigord, and it and it means something. Mm-hmm. Now, are
0: there any words that you came across that you really wanted to put in the book, but they didn't quite fit in any of the categories? Were, <laughs> are there some words that are kind of... Uh, Outside of what you're researching, but you thought were really fun?
2: I think I crammed everything in. I mean yeah. that was that was the fun of trying to um get across every last thing. It was a it was a challenge to decide quite how um plain speaking to be in the chapter on lust and desire. And actually I decided um I was gonna go quite far and maybe my daughter's been reading it over the summer holidays and she just said very properly I'm going to skip that chapter like, okay, <laughs> that's a good idea but it's interesting to see what you sort of miss I mean s- someone very kindly said to me and but then I sort of saw they said oh, you, there isn't even really a paragraph on grandmas and great grandmas and I was like no, that no, there isn't. And maybe that's because I'm not quite thinking, you know, the, sort of in the middle and I'm thinking it from my teacher's daughter. And obviously she has extraordinary grandmas, but it's, it, it, I'm sure, and I hope readers will will do that, will come to this book and think, okay, you've covered a lot of things, but not not everything. And I, one of the reasons I wanted it to, you know, when I was writing it, one of two people were saying, do you really want to kind of cover all this stuff? And I was like, yeah, because... If you narrow it down, you re- it looks in a way like you're saying this is what a woman is, or this is what a woman does, or this is what matters. And I wanted, you know, to 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 move across as much stuff in the in the chapters. Now I, I'm afraid I just shoved everything in. we
1: <laughs> love to hear it. Yeah, <laughs> in in relation to the backgrounds of certain words and where, or the etymology of certain words and where they are today. Are there any words that you think we need to rethink that we use right now that we maybe shouldn't
2: use or should use differently? It's it, it's so tricky, isn't? You know, I teach first year linguistics, and we tell them very firmly that linguistics is descriptive, not prescriptive, and you know, you, you and that actually what's Debbie Cameron who's a linguistics professor is called verbal hygiene which is the attempt to kind of make language match up to to where our ideals and values are is is a kind of tricky process um, and I'm and I'm not sure just looking at it that, that some of those attempts to really kind of change language uh, consciously kind of intentionally work out really well but I think it helps to to know the histories of this, these words and just um, think, think through what, what sort of backstory they bring with them. So a word like vagina, which is one that just seems a kind of core part of our kind of Latinate terminology. We, we get that because someone uses the Latin word for a, a sheath or a scabbard for a sword hmm. as an analogy. In a, in an anatomical textbook, they're trying to describe how one body part might fit into another, as as they're kind of describing the fabric of, of the, the human body, and 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 in he, the anatomist just says as as if as a, a scabbard, and then suddenly that technical term because it maps onto a way of thinking about sort of passive and active in sex and and the, the sort of the kind of the dominant ideas of the time it becomes fixed and I don't think we could kind of do away with it So I I mean I I th- this is a rather kind of utopian thinking I I think if certainly what what I've been trying to do is to or what we might do is try and for, find words that aren't technical but aren't slang and they're more kind of metaphors I love it when people talk about their bodies as as kind of metaphors and I wanted to write about um bodies in this way that would draw in a lot of um earlier language and you could have a think about okay well if, if not that metaphor what metaphor you know I think I think private parts have often been thought about in terms of euphemism or nickname but you know kind of all these kind of every family has its own euphemism so you can kind of gesture at it um but yeah what what you know, and I was thinking that a bit about childbirth too, and about caring. It, it's useful to know these etymologies because you get to see one way of thinking about things, and often the etymologies will kind of give you the backstory. But you know, are we? Do we want to say that you mother? That's oh, very recent use of that term. The idea that that there's like a particular kind of parenting called mothering that 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 only comes in in the the 19th century, the usage of the the word that way, and before that, to mother just means like to father means to be the to give birth, you know, to kind of procreate like that. And then before that, you have these, I mean, not quite gender neutral because it's more often women that's doing the caring, but words like keeping, nursing, cherishing, fostering, tending, which dis- describe the doing of it. uh w- So yeah, I, I sort of that sort of. Yeah, I like that kind of gender neutral language that sort of starts to pull apart some of the stuff, say, OK, is, has it always been mothering? Well, no, certainly not in the past because you have wet nurses, you had nurses, you had servants, you had families. The idea that kind of mothering was the dominant way to talk about looking after a baby, not at all. So I think that's, that's what the etymologies can can do. They can just, it's, it's a way of saying, let's just kind of stop and think about what word we use and why um, mm-hmm. and sometimes the more recently invented usages like to mother are, are the products of some of this 18th and 19th century ways of really trying to enforce certain gender roles and actually the the on-the-ground realities of of the middle ages and the renaissance produce a slightly different set of words because there's absolutely no guarantee that the mother of a baby is the one doing the majority of the the caring, or sh- or should be you know, not not everyone thinks like that in those earlier periods. Mm-hmm. Mm. And
0: one last question: I'm so curious about this because we talked to a lot of historians. Um, Ali and I are clearly not historians um, in any capacity, so I'm <laughs> always interested in this research process. Because um, you're not researching a person; you're researching again the etymology of words and phrases. What is that process like? Because you can't exactly look up the biography of you know. The word vagina. So, can you tell us a little bit about what the research process is like?
2: Yeah, and as as my historian colleagues at work would tell you, I I, I teach literature and poetry. I myself, you know, I'm not a kind of historian in that sense. Um, yeah, and it, that was very much something that I sort of worked out as I was writing this. Book. I worked out that I did want to go and go away and read an awful lot of work by historians about these topics. And it seemed, I think that's one of the things the book's trying to do to really kind of um, you know, maybe you know, we all get stuck at the moment that we kind of studied some of this stuff, maybe at school or college, or kind of fixed our ideas, and then research moves on. And I wanted to bring in lots of new research about. The history of medicine about things like witchcraft, so I, I read a lot of history and and found found I could use the words to kind of bring in, you know, keep keep your attention with words, but kind of bring in these little stories. There's a wonderful thing called the historical thesaurus of English, so you can look at kind of groups of vocabulary from the beginning of English to the modern day, and I I did a lot of that. So I would think, right, what what, what is the idea I want to to write about what have we called that thing or that process. And I would go away and you can, you can, that's free to use. You can look at that. And then I would start to chase the words that interested me through um, the dictionary of old English, which has only got as far as I or J. And then you have to use some other older things. Uh, The dictionary of middle English, which is finished because we medievalists are very efficient people. Uh, and And then into the Oxford English dictionary and I also did quite a bit of um using uh of text to kind of look at how words are being used and then to kind of find a passage or a writer or a moment that you could really um use to kind of show something interesting about that word and I was also on the lookout for um but it but it did in a funny way come around to interesting figures from history because i did i wanted there to be some people in this book if if that makes sense so i was the, the book is full of little vignettes of you know figures from history people may well have heard of but also some some new characters i hope to oft often the, the sort of figures who are who are pushing back against the dominant narratives of their time so renaissance Physicians who, or a guy called Thomas Reynolds, who's writing a book called *The Woman's Book* in 1550, um, bringing the new science of anatomy to readers in English. And from the way he presents it, some of those readers are women, either women as midwives or women who are having babies. And it was so interesting to me that the kind of new science of anatomy is quite quickly vernacularized mm-hmm. through a figure like him. So yeah, it was it was a a very strange research process and and also trying to kind of look a bit into me, so the book has little passages, not so much, but about you know the stages of life I've been through being a mum being a working mum, breastfeeding, giving birth, thinking back to to kind of my my daughter will be horrified my sex life in my twenties you know all all the sort of things, so it was a really. I I was horrible to live with because I was trying to get all this together in my head and I was writing it quite quickly through the pandemic and it felt but I felt like somehow I could kind of pull it all together and and that would make a kind of interesting read for readers who, who are interested in history but also thinking about some of these topics in the present day and then I I think, you know, there are so many people who love words and who love old words and the etymologies of words. I wanted to kind of write for them, too. So it it tries to put all that together.
1: That's amazing. Well, can you tell our listeners where they can find this book, where they can find you um, if you are on social medias or have a website where people can follow you?
2: Yeah, so the, the book is, is already out in, in UK with the feminist press Virago, and then it's coming out in the, the states and worldwide, uh, at the very end of August, the 29th of August with Viking, and there will be a beautiful audio book as well that will be coming out at the end of the month. That's been done really nicely. Um, so yeah, and, and there will be a few excerpts coming out in the, the media, so there should be lots of things to find, and then, um, yeah, I'm I'm sort of there in the death throes of Twitter, but I don't really know why I'm there. So <laughs> my handle is stylisticienne, which goes against everything they tell you. You're supposed to choose a really easy Twitter handle, but no one told me. So st- stylisticienne it's French for the 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 woman who works with style, with stylistics, which is some of what I've done. But maybe if you just search my name, you would find me. Um, <laughs> hoping that Twitter somehow comes back to life but I don't think it will. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you again for coming. We hope everyone enjoys this book. It's so fascinating. It was just so much more rich than I kind of expected it to be. I, I really, I'd never read a book of history of words, so I didn't know if it would be, it would look like a dictionary or what, and it was... It kind of felt like um, I don't know, just like a collection of essays on really interesting words.: Yes, yeah, so, very
1: attainable. Yes, very it is. attainable.: Yeah, so mm-hmm. we hope
0: everyone goes out and gets it, it releases August ninth and thank you again, Jenny, for coming on. This is great.:
2: Thank you so much.